Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. You're about to hear the story of McPhail's Furniture, a furniture business born in Wangaratta, that's northeast Victoria, about two and a half to three hours outside of Melbourne. The story of McPhail's goes back many years, and in this conversation, we covered the journey that the business has gone on in particular the time leading up to the COVID crisis, when an unusual twist of fate would have it that the McPhail's business went from $1 to $2 million of annual revenue to over $20 million of revenue. The idea that led them from a couple of million dollars to $20 million was quite simple. And Taylor, who is the current CEO of the business, walks us through all of the different strategies that he pursued, as well as his family, to make this a reality. We talk about selling furniture online, marketing, building a team, expanding, buying property, and all of the things that led to McPhail's being where it is today. It's really fascinating because Taylor is only 32 years old, and in business terms, I think he's incredibly young to have the wisdom that he does. This is a fantastic conversation of a business It kind of came out of nowhere during COVID and has done wonderful things. To kick things off, I asked Taylor to go back and tell us just how did this business get started? The old man was sort of born and bred in Bundalong, just sort of outside of Yarrawonga there, and they was sort of settled land there um, back in the late 1800s. And he didn't none of the boys or he had a couple of brothers and sisters none of them really wanted to take on the family farm he was a stock agent met mum they went to finley set up a stock agency sort of there mum hated finley wanted to come back to wang she was a wang girl mm-hmm. um they came back to wang mum's father was a new zealand guy come out after the war had a massive panel beating shop here in wangrata so he was quite successful there and he talked that into or he bought a um tow truck and removals business because he wanted the tow truck and then gave that off the removals business mm. so that sort of kick-started him in the removals game with trucks and stuff like that so yeah they would gather up furniture people would leave behind in their um 
moves you know like a couch or whatever and back in the day the new furniture wasn't what it is today it was you're dealing with a lot of second hand mm. if you're starting off as a young family you probably didn't have much at all um, furniture was expensive he would gather it up and then just started realizing he had a lot use his auctioneer background and then would auction it off every month mm. out of a um, site in town where he was at his removal depot and probably realized that there was probably more money and benefit in doing that Mm. so he would get this old furniture from the houses as people moved on and then yeah people just oh i don't want it anymore can you get rid of it you just keep it and then mm. on sell it rather than chuck it out mm. and uh yeah then so he started doing that then after when he realized it was pretty good he would go down to melbourne to the auctions there's one in swan street drills of swan street i think it's still there mm -hmm. in richmond he'd go down there buy up a lot drive it all back up display it sell it and then just did that for a few years and then started buying new furniture as factories in Melbourne started up. And there was a bit of a heyday through the, you know, late 70s, 80s and 90s where furniture factories were everywhere in Melbourne in those sort of Craigieburn, mm. Campbellfield areas. It was just big, big game in sofas and timber furniture. Then not so much anymore with the imports, but yeah, mm. would bring it all back. So... McPhail started, what, what's the date that it actually was well, accepted? 1969 was the removals sort of the original business yep. with when they bought that. And then it was probably more in the 1973, 74, straight into the furniture as mm. it is. It's not too much different to what it was. Mm. So can you take us through from... Um, say like the mid to late 90s through to when you got involved in the business and then maybe if you can weave in your background a bit there as well. Yeah, so I was a bit of a late addition to the family. I've got two brothers, Jason, he's 21 years older than me and then Casey who's my current business partner, he is 17 years older than me. So I was born in 1990. They were born in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. So they were both real estate agents, uh, from about 91, had an agency in Wangaratta for about four or five years together. And then Casey went off and worked with mum and dad in the furniture business. Um, and then shortly after he started working with dad, dad got cancer and died pretty quickly. Mm. So it, went, it was probably like three months. And then there was a, obviously a bit of turmoil with that. I was only six years old at the time. So then Casey sort of brought me up a lot of the time you know like mm. they kept the business going mum was running the business it was pretty it was probably tough times mm. back then I, don't, I actually don't know how they managed to do it but mm. as a six-year-old you sort of just go through it and then um i went down to scotch college in 2003 in year seven there sort of wasn't a lot here everyone was pretty busy with work so it's probably an easier choice to go to boarding school mm. for me um well, was that hard though well, I didn't really make the choice, you know, yeah, yeah, like when you're 12. But I I probably enjoyed it a lot down there. It was great being a boarder. Um, I probably – when you go down there, you, you're, you're a fair way behind coming from a country school going into that type of school. Mm. So I was in probably every special class you could think of. But, um, yeah, you grow up – like I, w I would definitely send my kids down there mm. again. I think what you learn – you just learn a whole different perspective on life and the way of doing things. And you probably see like in Wayne Grader, yeah, sure. There's like people have a lot or money or whatever, or they do things the way they do, but you probably get a more open 
idea you can have this because mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen people you know like there's people that i went to school with their family's probably worth half a billion you know yeah like they so just and they came from mind. nothing you know so yeah. there is the opportunity that you can do that and you probably see that whereas in wayne you probably think oh there's a rich guy over there i don't know he's had the family money and you can't do it or you can do it but you can only get you know a couple of million under your sleeve yeah that's yeah. where you can tap out whereas you can you can really do whatever you want yeah, you just get that perspective, I guess. Yeah, you get a different perspective. You build different networks. Mm. You, you're just open to a lot more. You, you obviously get educated better. I probably, if I stayed in Wangaratta, you know, I probably wasn't going to try that art at school. I would have had everything pretty much handed to me pretty easily here. Yeah. But you um, you did, but it seems to did do pretty well at school because you did law and commerce, right? Yeah, so that was a bit of a luck thing as well. So started went to Scotch for the six years. At the end, I sort of wasn't that great of a student. I was sort of looking at it like the high 60s sort of enter. Right. And then sort of come across, we come across Bond University where you could get it all done faster. I, I probably didn't like the academic side that much. <laughs> I just wanted to get through and start. I pretty much wanted to work and just either whatever that would be mm. um, and start wheeling and dealing. So I went to Bond had to go well basically i had to do some sort of degree that's just what the family told you you have to you know, <laughs> go out and do something you can't be nothing so just um in those last sort of six months of year 12 i met with the bond with bond uni and the guy there was said oh you're probably only going to get a commerce offering based on what the school thinks you're going to get for your enter school which is based off your sacks and yep. all that which i probably didn't wasn't that good at so then i said oh well Look, I'll get I'll get a lot higher than that, and I'd worked out that I just studied at the end and just crammed it all in, and then ended <laughs> up with like an eighty-two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which they gave me a commerce offering at a ten percent scholarship, and at the time Bond was trying to grow grow their presence, and now it's a massive uni, but at the time they were trying to grow their presence, so they were basically giving away <laughs> a lot of money to get students there with, through scholarships. Mm. And then they had these collegiate scholarship programs. So basically anyone from like Scotch or Melbourne Grammar or Xavier or wherever, like those sort of schools, PLC, would be able to get this 50% scholarship offering to go there. And when I was on the way up, driving up to Bond to do commerce, I got an email saying that I had commerce law at 50% scholarship. (laughs) So I just obviously said yes, took it Mm. and just, yeah, went from there and did all the, I did all the subjects. I put, I Again, didn't excel in them. It was a bit of a P's get degrees mentality. <laughs> um, got all the subjects finished all on time. Didn't really defer any or didn't defer any at all. And then, yeah, just finished at the end and had a job sort of teed up in Melbourne at a law firm. So every holidays I'd go and do a work experience there that mum's husband basically organised through his accountant in Melbourne through his connections. Um <laughs> And then, yeah, just took that opportunity, got along with everyone in that firm and worked there, did my articles there, mm-hmm. for worked there for two years. Mm. And then what? So then you – so how did the stars align that you come back to the business here in Wang? And if I'm not – because if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't doing that well. No, it wasn't. I sort of probably wanted to change. I didn't really like the law. It was just very repetitive sort of lifestyle in Melbourne. Mm. that I'd sort of lived anyway. So you'd finish work, go home, go to the gym, whatever, back to work, 
weekends, just go out. Mm. Um, I could sort of see the writing of where you'll go. You'd get, you know, start off on 45 grand. I think it went to like 65 or 70. Then you sort of tap out at like 100 unless you start going partner and the guys were working like flat out to do that. Not that I, I thought at the time, you know, hundreds, heaps. Like how would you ever earn that? Mm. But then came back here, so sort of just wanted something different. Come back here, I was going to go overseas or do something different completely. Come back here in the meantime and help my brothers out because they were just under the pump a little bit. Um, they offered me to work here just gave me the same money that I was on there and then I sort of just got into it a bit more. My middle brother Casey had always told me that you don't really – dad never had it as – dad. how dad ran the family was like it's everyone's. It's not like mine or yours or this is whose it is. It's if you, you work the business, you own it. Mm. So there was – my oldest brother and my middle brother who is in it now, they, they owned it at the time. So I was just an employee for them. And it sort of got to a point where, well, they had a lot of debt in property. Um, the business was failing as well. So the bank was putting pressure on. This is like the not probably higher interest rates than they are now. Um, it worked. If I came in, we spread the debt across three people, even though the oldest brother secured it all, but the business was funding a lot of it and mm -hmm. then tried to work out a solution from there, which, you know, through a lot of blues and different sort of, things we couldn't work out and then in the end it just seemed better that the oldest brother would take we had three stores so it sort of worked out if we split it at that point you take what stocks in your store they were probably all even values like there wouldn't have been much stock maybe 100 at each store 100 grand yeah worth it just like your floor stock a little bit out the back so you take those two we'll take these and then he took the property as well in the end i suppose because he secured it mm. which I suppose oh, my middle brother probably missed out a bit on that, but you know it is what it is. Mm. I probably, it wasn't really any of mine because I never worked for that side of thing what they'd built. But um, yeah, so I took over his share in the business um, with the Wayne Grader store, and we had a Shepparton store. After that, we decided to close the Shepparton store, which my oldest brother technically owned because that we owned that freehold. We found a tenant; he took it over. That was off our hands. Um, and then Casey and I mortgaged our own houses, which we had a bit in. So I had a bit from inheritance and stuff from when dad passed and that I didn't touch it. I was six, hadn't touched it for a while mm. and sort of built up. So I'd done a few like little property deals myself that I'd gone all right in. Um, and then we both mortgaged our houses and built, went and got in with the Ashley store. So can you explain that? Cause for people that don't have no idea what that means. So sort of if you rewind a little bit back what we had was um that my brothers were importing since about 2008 direct containers mixed in with wholesale stuff out of melbourne or manufactured out of melbourne then we sort of were moving more to an all import model because you just your buying power was so much better yeah um you nearly couldn't afford to do it the old way because there's just no margin you're gonna send yourself broke um, so they went into that importing model and one of the suppliers was actually furniture that we're buying off, which is an enormous American company. Sort of, They claim that they're the um, biggest in the world, which they probably, like, I don't know who the measure would be, but yeah. they are a massive, enormous company in America, um, well organized. And they sort of started from nothing basically back in the 40s and 50s, which is still owned by the same people. 
um, we were buying off them. The opportunity came up to open up what they have as their own home store. So they're traditionally a manufacturer, but they across America, they'd have about 500 of these home stores, which are all decked out, beautiful stores mm. with their own product in it. Um, we opened up one of them here, which was the first one in Australia, which was they taught us. We went over there, taught us a lot about, you know, how to retail properly, not just out of a shed and a cold sort of warehouse but how to you know plaster the walls polish the floor light it air condition it set your furniture up nice um which we followed to a t their whole sort of way they did it um so we opened up the wayne Grata store it sort of started going all right um the wodonga store as well and then it's sort of the supply there was just like supply issues and stuff like that as as things happen and um sort of broke down a little bit our mm. relationship with them um but then we since mended and stuff like that but um yeah that they taught us a lot about that but we probably put our own spin on it after picked our own product went back to our own suppliers and mm. so with this ashley store thing um were you paying like a franchise fee or something like that or no we actually never even signed contracts with them for that sort of thing. That wasn't really how they ran. It, they it was more like you. you buy their furniture, you, you only stock their furniture. So we still kept half the store as McPhail's and then had a new start, which was Ashley. Yeah. They would guide you on how to sell it and everything, which we had out. We were probably, we're pretty big headed in <laughs> how we want our things to be. So we probably, we had, in a way, we probably didn't believe in them as much as we, well, now we would believe what they were selling, but we just couldn't believe that you could sell this much furniture out of one store mm. whereas they would say that you could arguably without speaking bad about them or anything you their product you might or you might not be able to they got a lot of stores in australia which you know i don't know how they do but i assume they do pretty well yeah they're nice stores um it just probably wasn't the right mix for us up here so w- so if someone was listening from home and they hadn't been to the store here um how could they imagine what it is like is it like a nick scarley or a harvey norman or amart like what kind of it is it is probably it's it's not really like a harvey norman it's more of like a a scarley to me is a bit of a pinnacle in australia i think they are like outside of king furniture and those really high-end ones but for that middle class of people scarly probably do it really well i think mm-hmm. um ours are a bit more condensed than their sort of stores and less contemporary more rustic vibes yeah um and more of that hampton vibe with yeah so scarly's probably got a nice clean wide store mm. you know big spaces between groups and stuff like that ours is a bit closer in but s- similar sort of idea nice clean plastered walls mm. track lit and stuff like that it's probably just a bit tighter and a bit like our style sort of caters for a lot more so we've got you know recliners like bulky recliners up to you know clean slick line lounges Hmm. so okay so now that we've got that context um when you mortgaged your houses can you give us a sense of how big the business was then so back then we probably turned over only about 900 to million dollars in the one store for a year for that a was year. it that was at our probably absolute lowest 900 to, so say a million yeah figures. so in for instance versus pre-gfc 
in like 06, 07, they were probably between, my brothers probably did between three stores, maybe up to six, seven million in their best time. Wow. I'm not really sure what mum and dad did because of pre-computers, it was all hand dockets. So they probably didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. it went from six or seven million down. Yeah, it went to- right down. Like they, it, it wasn't, was not in a good place. Is that because of the debt kind of crippled the business? Is that Yeah, I would say that uh, Casey would probably say that, yeah, there, there was a lot of money taken out of the business to fund these debts. Interest rates then were, you know, people think they're tough now. They, they were like, we're paying like 8% yeah. on yeah. a variable, which was, you know, probably that was just what you expected to pay. It's just, yeah, you were put, yeah so you had a $4 million hour. There was just probably some dealings there that, weren't probably beneficial for the business mm. or they were then the gfc happened turnover dropped and then it made it too hard mm. so then you do this thing like where you mortgage it to kind of like save it say yeah wasn't uh, probably to save it was more to yet. have another life like I, I was only probably 25 at the time you know what was i going to do i was either going to go work for someone mm. or have a crack and dig in so what did you do? How did you dig in? Well, yeah, we went mortgage the houses and then rebuilt the thing. Worked for didn't get paid. So used the mortgage that we lent to the company and just repaid ourselves the loan repayment on that. So you weren't getting physically getting paid. Like a lot of weeks, you wouldn't pay yourself. You'd have to pay the staff or whatever, just so you didn't fall behind. Mm. Your bills are stretching out. It was pretty tough at that point because you, you, yeah, you'd spent all this money on these fit outs and done it all properly but you weren't getting a lot in your bills we had a lot of good local suppliers you know like a mate has a trucking business he you know you push him out to three months they ring in you they want their money you got to try and work it out they'd still keep supplying it was probably like based on old relationships you mm. know like dad and that trucking company's great-grandfather worked together and when they were in trucking together you know that's so it was like these long built out relationships that you had that you probably relied on at these tough times where they credit you mm. and you eventually get on top of it. So then what was the catalyst? Like what, how do you, so we're sitting here, if you're not watching, we're sitting here in this gigantic factory in this boardroom that overlooks the floor, but then the other side, it's got like a huge yard, looks back out towards Wangaratta. Yeah. Like how do you go from that to this in just a few, like in a few years? Well, I would say down one thing, just COVID. COVID? So COVID was probably bad for some, but unbelievable for us, which we didn't obviously see coming. So we we did the whole remortgage and opened up the Wodonga store, picked up a homewares brand, just kept battling. Like it was an everyday battle. So your turnover was 250000 a month. We got it up to. Mm-hmm. Your break even might have been 280000 mm. So you won't. You'll tread in water, you know, like some months you'd make a bit of profit. Overall, you're probably making a loss where we were for a couple of years. Mm. So it was, you could tell, you were just basing off your bank mortgage. You're going broke slowly. At that point, we got rid of, we had to change. We got rid of that Ashley brand and went, I just went back over to China with my brother. We went to the fairs, rebought, established the old relationships, bought what we think would sell better. Um, it started selling better. So we we're on like 10% growth a month. Then COVID happened. So that we, the last time we went to China was the, so COVID was 2020. Mm. We went to China in September, 2019. 
we had the Guangzhou show booked for March 2020, but COVID happened, so we just cancelled all that. Mm-hmm. That was our last opportunity, and that was our second time to China as McPhail's Furniture again. So we'd set up just enough of the old supply lines to be right to go into COVID, not knowing that COVID was going to happen, of course. Mm. So we just had that in our back pocket. Then COVID happened. We just gave up at that point. At the very start of COVID, we just looked at each other and said, oh, that, that's it. We'd had our 10% growth. We're starting to come back. We're like, we're not going into that hard time again. Mm. Went and bought a log splitter. <laughs> got organized jobs for all our staff, truck drivers. That We only had probably five staff at the time to go work up in farms in central New South Wales or whatever. Um, bought a log splitter. Thought we we're just going to go cut wood and make ends meet basically to get through at that point there was that two weeks where it was just full lockdown no one knew what was going on yep i went back into the store just by myself and would just put stuff up on marketplace to sellers just pick up only or whatever or we could just drop it at to your house like whatever i could because i knew we had to get we thought we we're going to go close down didn't really know what was happening just need to sell the stock off as quick as we could i noticed that stuff was just selling quick like you put a mirror up you'd have five in stock they'd be all gone in a day Mm. or like a couch it, it, people were just buying like crazy straight away because they every, every you saw the rush on the supermarkets the butchers everyone was out of stock everyone was just buying whatever they could just spend money mm. so when i realized that i just said to the guys that we had that we probably actually had more stuff than that maybe eight um i said we got to get in there and start so it sort of opened up a re- we'll luck a lot luckier than melbourne had Mm. Um, we were a lot freer up here and we'd just go into the store. You could work from home because we were a warehouse, so we were a freight company. Mm. Um, we would work and get the deliveries out and we still had containers coming in and stuff like that of furniture, so you, still, you couldn't just leave them there. You had to unload them and get the container back because of the demarrage and all that. Um, we got everyone in and then just started pumping the phones in the Facebook. Everyone was putting up on their own personal marketplace, whatever <laughs> whatever you could sell. And it just took off. And at that point, I'm, I was speaking to another mate that's in the furniture game and he does um, outdoor online. I said, mate, I'm buying containers. I had about 100 containers on order within a month. And he's saying, you're mad, mate, because everyone thought it was going to, mm. it was all going to come back and stop. It lasted two years, this sort of boom time. And I had these 100 containers. So we sold, we went from doing like a $200,000 month to a 700000 from like, March to April was 700. That's just how quick it went. Hmm. And then May was a 700. And then I ran out of stock. So all my warehouse stock, everyone needed it right now. So we just said yes to everything that we could get out and just work all weekend, every day. Because, hmm. well, one, you had nothing else to do. Yeah. And two, I just remembered how hard it was whenever you could get a sale. If you could get a 10 grand sale, that was like unbelievable back you know, pre-COVID, now they're pretty common. But you still can't, you know, you don't want to throw them away because you mm. remember how bad it is when you're trying to just get whatever you can, even 500 bucks is great. Yeah. So, so you run out of stock, then how do you – so was there anything particular you do on Facebook? Just first quick on that. Was it just like literally just putting it up on Marketplace and just being like this? They weren't like mm, aggressively so marketing or anything? I wasn't really aggressively marketing. Well, what I, it would probably be considered aggressive at the time, but compared to what I do now, no. It would be like you'd put up a post of under 40 pictures on your 
on your page. So we had um, maybe 10,000 followers at that time. We'd put up a post of pictures, put the pricing in. It's available, put $1,000 boost on it for over the audience of, you know, Wayne Grout of Northeast Victoria. Um, it would go well. People would comment. You'd be talking to people all night sitting at home. My wife would, you know, crack it with me. You're sitting on the phone all night <laughs> talking to people. I had a newborn at home. Um, but you sort of had to do it or else you didn't know when it was going to stop. So you wanted to take whatever you could get. Um, yeah, so it would pump that a thousand bucks on that. Now we'd probably push, you know, you could push 30,000 to a post for seven days, mm. whatever you don't, yeah, whatever it works out to be that you need. And it just would turn into sales yeah. like that quick. So I sort of base it on a, like, if I look at turnover industry average, about 7% spend on marketing, I just 7%. If you spent 70 grand, you're going to get a million. Yeah. Right. Sort of just work like that. Yeah, right. So you just kind of took what is already working in other businesses and you just thought, I'll just Yeah, well, it sort of just worked a that. few times and then I just kept doing it. And that, oh, we also, a big thing we did was we did a couple of giveaways where, because I was spending like a thousand initially, then up 5,000 on a post or whatever. I thought, well, if I give away $5,000 of furniture and do a post and share it, it'll get the same reach from people sharing to want to win the competition rather than pay Facebook, you give someone the 5,000 in furniture. Mm. So I did that and then I went up to like 25,000 likes and then within probably did three of those comps and then got to 100,000 followers. Mm. Now they sort of increase about 1,000 a month, but we, we stopped doing those competitions because we started getting massive scams. <laughs> like people would say they've won and then all these fake pages would come up because it would have you know, 10,000 likes and comments on a post. Yeah. People would get, yeah, the scam started coming. We Facebook wouldn't give us a blue tick. Yeah, right. So we couldn't prove that it was us or not us. Like it'd have, people would have to go through our page and see the history, I suppose, to know that it was real, but they wouldn't. And then yeah, it got too hard and then people would start ghosting your page. So Facebook have this thing where, you know, when you're on it and you're scrolling and it says, I don't want to see this. Yeah. If you click that enough times, it goes someone. So then your posts don't go to anyone, even if you pay to them. So well, it makes it look like you're spamming. Ah, so right. if you, yeah, if people do that to your page, which is when you run competitions and you just keep coming up, it gets annoying for people. They'll say, I don't want to see this. And then enough people say they don't want to see it. It can ghost you and you go into ghost mode for like two weeks. So even though you're paying for ads, no one's seeing it. Yeah. Well, you got to pay more. Yeah, because like it, yeah, it doesn't, Facebook's algorithm doesn't want you to do it. It's like a dark pool. Yeah. You just keep throwing the money in. It took us a while to work that out. Why after a comp, everything had just stopped. And then we'd start getting real nervous. You know, it's all changed. Yeah. Facebook changes a lot of things a lot of the time. Yeah. So you would be doing like the majority of your leads at least were coming through Facebook and all that during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I would say 95%. Yeah. And then... So you ran out of stock. You obviously had to get a lot more and you had 100 containers on order. Yeah. So they took a lot long. They used to take, it used to be like a three-month rule of thumb, order, two months production, month on the water here. Yeah. It pushed out. Like some containers we only just got now were like from 14 months ago orders. Oh, wow. So stock holding now is a little bit not right. We're really deep in stock because we got, you know, old, old orders have started, that have Rocking just up. finished. Yeah. yeah. Which... I ordered at the time because, you know, it was booming. Like if I had the stock there, then I would have sold it. Whatever you had, you it was that easy to sell. Yeah. 
Do you have do you have a risk now then as like COVID kind of finally seems to be rolling off for most folks? Do you have a concern that you have too much stock or you're going to have too much stock? I, I definitely have too much stock now, but it's probably not a concern because I paid for a lot of it. Right. So initially, like say we had a million just figures pulling out a million dollars of stock. We probably owed a million dollars on it back mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. through finance. Now, say if you have five million of stock, you might only owe a million on it. Yeah. So your actual holding, you got a lot of equity in your stock. So yeah. if I've I've turned off the orders a little bit, when probably you go down from you know this time last year was the worst ever. We had 150 containers a month for two months. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Now we're probably down to 10 to 30 a month. Yeah, right. So, what did your revenue get up to then at the peak of all this? The absolute highest we hit was the 22 million for a year, yeah. a financial year, which was the last one. Yeah. So, it sort of went from up from maybe like two to 10 to 22. Wow. Yeah. And profit, were you profitable that time? Yeah. 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 And so, which so, the thing with selling is, which is what dad always said, is if you're, say, you're a tradie and you're charging out, by the hour or whatever you can only charge out 24 hours a day that's the most you can actually do yeah selling you can sell whatever you want a thousand times a day and you make the money yeah but if you're not selling you're still less putting the time like when it was quite it sort of goes both ways like people could say oh well it's almost like people look at it as being unfair or whatever you make heaps of money whereas like when it's quiet you can't just go and charge your time out yeah you, if you're not selling and you're not making anything but when you are selling you got to take full advantage of that and make and hay while the sun shines. Yeah. So yeah. now, if it goes into a quiet time, that's probably not too bad. We can, like, I obviously I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I don't want to keep selling heaps and growing, but we can probably get our systems a bit better and spend a bit more time on that, waiting for the next good time, which I don't think is that far away. Yeah. So, you, one of the stats that I heard was that you guys, because you exploded so quickly you had to get all the sh like you had to basically look around Wangaratta which is a big regional kind of town city if you yeah, like about 25,000 people yeah you had to basically find every shed that you possibly could and we just went for a drive before and you basically like lease that lease that lease that lease yeah <laughs> bought that bought that lease that like all around town yeah so he made quick moves was sort of maybe about six months ahead of the game so Obviously, I worked out, it started early, I bought early. So, we got out, a lot of our initial supply came early and with that, you make a lot of, you make a lot of money yep. based on that, which at the time, you can either choose to pocket or reinvest it. We reinvested nearly, basically every cent. We still haven't bought much. We don't pay ourselves stupid wages. Um, we bought a shed that we thought would be our warehouse which was 4,000 metres, going from basically no warehouse just out the back of the shop to 4,000. Um, soon worked out within three months that it was way too small and then we'd just pick up, you know, ring anyone that we knew that we thought had a shed and say, what? I need to borrow this. I need to, like, <laughs> what, what deal can we do? We're paying stupid rent on some stuff too, like, mm -hmm. you know, people – well, I would do it too to them, you know, <laughs> like if they've got someone desperate, they knew we'll – anyone that owned property in Wayne knew we wanted it and we were desperate yep. or else we couldn't store the stuff. So, it was versus either leave it in the container and pay 150-day detention. What does that cost you? So, we had one detention bill for a month over that period. We are using the rail to bring up the um, furniture and it was just – everything was a little bit clunky. Yep. 
Um, just because our volume grew from, you know, like 10 containers to 150, it's who's going to be able to <laughs> manage that? Like we're not in Melbourne. You can't just ring up any trucking company or whatever. Yeah. We had a detention bill of like 150,000 there for a month, which just for nothing. Like that just goes straight overseas to the shippers. Just in it, it was the worst having to pay that down. So you may as well go and get a shed. Yeah. So if you go and pay, block. you know, five grand a month for a shed mm. or whatever, even if it's no good, you just deal with it. Mm. And then we just picked up a lot of staff at the time to, you know, manage that. You said to me in a previous uh, chat we had that you said that like one of the big parts of business and everything that you do is like the property value. So, yeah. like, so like the operating business sits on a property and so on and so forth. Can you talk to us about how you think about that? Like how, how you think about property as a vehicle for like wealth creation? Well, property, say this furniture I've got here, this table, we buy that. The only reason someone will give me money for that is if they take that table with them and then give me the money. So they, it becomes theirs. Yeah, it becomes theirs. Property is the only thing the bank will give you money on, but you still own. So they'll pay you for it. Mm but you still own it. So you get fake, it's almost, well, it's not fake, but it's the, you buy a property pre-COVID, they all went up heaps. So you bought something for 200,000, all of a sudden it's valued at 400. You've technically made that 200 without selling the property or passing it on because the bank will give you the extra 200. With that equity, you go and buy something else, it does the same thing. Hmm. So eventually you'll buy like five properties, they've all gone up. Yeah, you have a lot of debt, you just have to be able to service them. If you can't service them, you just sell three of them and then you own the two outright that you initially bought, mm. which you're never going to pay off anyway. Well, you have to buy it right in that strategy, right? And you have to be mindful of leverage. Yeah, but at that time in COVID, there was you could buy anything that was going to go up anywhere in Australia. Mm. You're going to make money. Mm. You just had to buy it. The first ones we had to buy, the hardest thing is getting that initial deposit. Because you have to buy one with an initial deposit. Mm. So we got this land where we are now was pretty cheap at the time because no, everyone, again, didn't want to buy. We actually had signed a contract on a farm that we thought on the edge of town for 30 acres just to, you know, <laughs> do the old wood cutting game and stuff. Yeah. And it, was, it took a month and we rang up the agent and we said, has the other person signed that contract yet? And they were screwing around with it and they hadn't signed. And I said, oh, well, we, we don't want it anymore give us the deposit back. And then we had this block of industrial land hmm. and we used that same deposit and bought this hmm. and that gave us our first equity. So we, as we'd sold off our stock, we had cash in the bank in stock value rather than sitting in stock, it was in cash. So we bought the land with that cash. Then that property got it revalued again within a year to buy the other one. So it went up, say we pushed it up to 500 or 600, I can't really remember, which gave us an equity position Plus, we saved another bit of cash to buy another shed for two and a half million and then borrowed like maybe two million of it. So we had, might have had a 500,000. I'm just pulling numbers out, but yeah. roughly like 500,000 plus the security of the block that we owned outright gave us enough to the bank to lend us the two million mm -hmm. and the business turnover and stuff like that. Um, and then with that, it went up again. Both of them go up. And we bought. Uh, what did we do then? We um, oh, we bought another place in um, Dinner Plain as mm -hmm. well, like a holiday house, and then it doubled, um, which we sold that and then used cash from that to help start funding to build this shed that we're in now, which was a $6 million bite. 
at yeah. the time. Yeah. And now I imagine it'd be worth a lot Well, more. the builder, when we we're coming to finish, said, do you want to build the same one? It'd be eight. Yeah, right. That's There's a lot steel of steel plant. out there. Yeah, so what we, we stuffed around. We couldn't get the money at the start. We stuffed around. The bank wasn't confident yet in our, you know, everyone thought the figures were just a, a blip in the graph. I had to get really good two years of good growth and trading to give to the bank and we we're reporting nearly weekly to the bank what we were doing. Um, so we're going to sign in February. They were like, oh, let's think about it a bit. I think the build cost was like 5.3 then. And then by the time we signed in October, it had gone up to six. Wow. And that was just things, you know, you just had to cop that at the time. Like, what are you going to do? Argue about it and then not build it or, you mm. know, stuff around longer. And then we're under a super amount of pressure with having 21 warehouses. Like, we were getting burnt out quick. Staff were getting burnt out. Yeah, they're hot, small. Well, they're not, they're small by warehouse stands, by this standard, they're small. But yeah, yeah. you were just, there was just so much labor intensiveness. Yeah. yeah. And then you're having problems, then you, it's just, it was that was that was tough, but it was all right because you're making money and mm. you know you could see the light at the end. So basically, you took like that's the original deposit that you were going to put on that wood wood chopping land. Yeah, and the business took off, so you had that kind of float of cash that would normally be buying inventory sitting there that you used as a bigger deposit to then yeah. buy a place and then buy a place and then buy a place and then yeah. buy a place. And then you ended up here. Yeah. And then the bank also funded the next in inventory coming in. So, the yeah, we used up in inventory cash, but you're making more as well because you're selling so much so quickly, you're able to keep buying the inventory at the same time. And the inventory was taking a lot longer to come through yeah, right. than usual. So, it gave you more time to try and buy it. So, it took, yeah. There was a, I suppose you'd say at the time it didn't feel risky because – We'd already been nearly broke. What was the worst that was going to happen? You go broke. Yeah. Really? Was <laughs> that, that's, you're not going to die. You're going to just go broke <laughs> yeah. and go without again. Yeah, which is where you already were yeah, going. Yeah, so, so what difference does it make? Yeah. Lose your house. Oh, well, go rent. Might start again. <laughs> yeah. I love that attitude because a lot of people think about like losing money and they think about it like it is life or death when it's really not. Like no. you just go live with your family. Having and, said that now- Oh, yeah, I wouldn't probably you're... like to lose too much now because <laughs> I like quite like having it. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It probably does make you happier to an extent. Like when you don't have it, it everything's tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it Life's is. Life's not fun, but you once can you get still to a, live. You don't die. Like, once you get to a certain level, right? That's what the study shows, that once you get to yeah. a certain level of income or wealth. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's like the question too is if, you know, we've ex obviously explored expanding. Yeah. Um. But the pressure of, you know, going there, I'd have to open up another store, shop in, say, we'd probably look at northern Sydney or, you know, Geelong area or some, somewhere far enough away where it's a new customer. Yep. Um, but you're going to have to go there and run it. There's a lot of pressure. You've got to set it up. Do you really want that? Or, you, you know, you're going to make a lot more money, but how much do you need at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, furniture's lovely. We went through the store. And the way you presented everything Thanks. was lovely. Um, it's it's really cool to see uh, a place like this in a regional town. We're, as we were driving around, we're saying how basically 
you know, regional towns benefited in a massive way, not just your business, but everything. Yeah. Um, and also the way you thought about marketing the business as well was really creative and the way the attention to detail in the shop was like second to none. Uh, and it's funny how those little things make like compound to make a huge difference by the end. Yeah, well, that's right. So, for example, just cushions being kneed on a couch, you got to have everything in there because it, the, it's not that, I suppose, what is it? It's people will see it if it's out of place, but if it's not, if it's in place, they don't notice it. But if it's out, they do notice it, you know? Like yeah. if you see dirtiness, you yeah. notice it and then you think the whole place, it probably brings you down. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's all in place, you don't think of it either way, but you mm. don't think negatively. Yeah, I remember um, there's, uh, if you show a bunch of math equations on like simple, really simple math equations on a PowerPoint, if you have 10 of them and one of them's wrong, everyone just automatically notices the one that's wrong. Yeah. And uh, it's that kind of same bias that we have in our head. Yeah, around. it's just have it all as right as you can and then, yeah. well, it just has to be right. Like we're pretty, we're super strict on that. Yeah. So how about then, are you, so I mentioned before about inventory over, uh, like flowing over. Uh, are you like do you ever think about like so that was worst cases like the business doesn't succeed and um you know wherever you're going to go you know you're going to end up anyway mm. do you now think about the downside more that you've got the business to where it is and you've got like the assets to where they are like all the property in that do you now think more about the, the risk and the downside to be honest like it sounds cliche but you probably think more of the risk to your staff in a way because we've got some pretty high paid managers now and like good people that have, I suppose, trusted us to, you know, back them. Like they, if they lose their job, they, mm. they'll get another job somewhere else, but would it be as good or, you know, it just puts a lot of pressure on them. Yep. Um, so with those good staff that we got that have backed us through this tough time, it would be hard for it to ruin it for them. Yeah. The stock position we're in now, it'd have to go pretty bad, like really bad for it to hurt because mm. we just got a lot of business debt out. We have got a lot of property debt, but having said that, I try and keep property in stock and I trade it. So I'm not afraid to, you know, if someone wants to buy something off me and pay more than I paid for it, it is what it is, you know, like I'm a trader. I'm not, mm. you know, sentimental to that property. I need to keep it and keep it and keep it. I'll trade it off and buy and sell because you can always just buy another one again you might have to pay more or whatever but at the time if you need the cash you gotta you gotta sell so we've sold a few joints like for instance a dinner plane joint mm. it's good going up to the snow and stuff like that but there was good coin in it sell it mm. you know rent a joint <laughs> you make yeah. enough out of it how many times are you going to go up there that it justifies the, that yeah exactly and then it goes into something else so yeah um so how how about like things like it's something that I haven't asked you today is like just about like culture and how you think about staff and like building that and fostering like talent like talent being a really key input to every business. Yeah, well, so from the background of where we were when we'd just sit out the back, basically smoking darts, drinking coffees, hmm. like doing absolutely nothing when it was horrible. That culture was terrible. Yeah. At the time, you probably think it's all right because you're doing nothing and. What else it's do? just like a loser sort of mentality. Now that we've got into where we are and everyone's sort of go, go, go around us, you know, the staff are excited. We've got some good managers that, you know, want quality and they see it as a career, you know, it's more exciting. So you you want to respect that and mm. 
mm. cherish that. So when when you have staff that come in that try and upset that or, you know, want to wreck your culture or want to be lazy or, you know, doing it, I just can't tolerate it. And it does probably set me off, but I've moved, moved aside to get an HR company to do that. So <laughs> I suppose they could filter what I would say. But, um, yeah, there's a, like a lot of people want to have a go and there's a lot of people that probably don't want a free ride. So we just try and keep that, you know, if that, if you can identify that or mm. normally the group mentality will sort of push that out anyway now. But yeah, we grew so quick. You did have a lot of people that, you know, probably wanted to have a lend or mm. whatnot. Like I'd have blokes that, you know, they probably should have went on a truck run, left at six in the morning. They ring you at 8.30 saying, oh, I can't do it. You got, you know, 20 customers down there. That means one of the other staff has to go and ring them all and get abused by them. So he's put pressure on them. I got to get in the truck myself and drive down there because I've got no one else. Mm. Like they let you down. They let the whole team down a lot when, and you know, you can see it once or twice it happens, you know, they're sick or something else happens. But, you know, if it's every week, (laughs) you just get, you can't have that. They're having a lend. Yeah. Someone said to me last week, it's, it sounds harsh, but it's almost like you'd be slow to hire, quick to fire. Mm. Um, just because that one person can drag down the entire team. And I've had that experience. Yeah. Well, we were the opposite at the time. You needed people. Mm. And so you'd put up with a lot. But now as it gets tighter, you know, sales are slowly dropping and stuff as it's coming back with interest rates and stuff. Mm. You, the people that are there, you, they, need to, they need to perform because mm. everyone got massive wage increases. Mm. Like we went to um, interest rate meetings with the NAB about it and they're saying, oh, you know, like wage growth and all that. And I said, oh, <laughs> everyone I speak to in Wang has gone from a 40 grand salary to a 70. Yeah. Like if you're not asking for it or you're not changing jobs, well, that's basically your own problem. But the wage growth was there. Yeah. Like we, we were, I think I was talking to you about, like we are giving people pay rises to come join us just to get them. Mm. But then they would think, I suppose that didn't come with more responsibility. You know, you had to get you get a pay rise, but it the responsibility sort of increases. Yeah, absolutely. Which it is what it is. Yeah, and how much of your so you're like Temple and Webster, right? Which is like fully online. Yeah, and then you got like Scarly has the stores. How much of your revenue comes from online sales? About twenty percent directly off the website would be what we'd be doing at the moment however it, yeah hard, very hard to manage what actually comes generated from their website like we have a lot of hits on it mm, but people and want to I, see it yeah i showed you a delivery schedule of like where we go like not all those people come into store they're, they're talking to us on facebook or through our website chat line mm. which will go to all the sales staff phone where they'll reply individually at night so they're commissioned to do that you know, mm. if they don't want to do it, well, they're going to probably, they'll miss out on sales. But you have that sweet spot at night, particularly on Sunday nights. Mum and dad are at home. They've had a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> you're all guilty of it. <laughs> and then you buy stuff online. Yeah, yeah, you do. And you've got to close it at that point. If you close it, like we used to do a lot of that. If you say, oh, I'll call you back on Monday morning or whatever, you know, they're half hungover and they don't they <laughs> regret it. If they've already closed it then, they've. Yeah, you commit and you buy it, yeah. and you don't. You actually don't regret it once you have. But if you, yeah, get the option later, you probably do. Yeah, change your mind. Yeah, um, so you deliver up to fifteen hundred k's away from the store, which is incredible reach. 
yeah. for 59 bucks. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. How do you, how did the economics of that work? Like, how do you? Well, that was like a, another whole sort of story. So, we identified that we wanted to sell more. So, my brother and I would go on these hunting trips up to central New South Wales. Mm. And then we'd come back and we stopped in the stores and said, oh, how about you buy our stuff instead of buying the wholesale stuff out of Sydney or Melbourne or wherever? And we'll deliver it to you. And a few of them said, yes. Um, yeah, we'll give it a go. But they, we worked out, they will buying like one lounge at absolute no margin. We'll deliver it to them or direct to the customer. And then they'll just clean up on the margin and mm. they'd only buy one. So it works if you bought a truckload, it'd be worth doing it at that margin, but we'll just lose money on that. So any problems, we'd have to go and fix it too ourselves, like their store wouldn't. So they were just getting basically the cream for not really doing anything. So then we just thought, why don't we just sell it direct to the customer? Mm. And I had another mate that was doing it online and that same guy that does the outdoor, he taught me a lot about that, um, which we weren't even mates. I just saw his truck driving along, rang up, rang him up and he just, he's just a nice bloke, sort of pretty open. Yeah, There's enough room in it for everyone. Um, he just said, yeah, this is, I just do it. So if you get it, so for instance, the way it works, like people think, they, I don't know how, they just don't believe us that we do it or whatever. So what it, initially we, we probably did ourselves in on a few drops. So you go to Mildura, you'd only have one thing. Mm. It, was, it obviously costs you more, but you still got a sale. So you have your margin in your sale and they're sales that you would never have got. So for yeah. instance, someone comes in and spends 10 grand in weighing, yeah, it's easy you just drop it off around the corner. But if they're 10 grand in Mildura, would you drive a day to get there and drop it off and drive back to get the 10 grand sale well you probably would mm. but then you do that and you add 10 deliveries there and it's a full truck well it's not that much different like it's just a wage and some petrol yeah we initially had you had to have one or two trucks to run the business as it was which we just would use those trucks so mm. you're only actually paying petrol and wages and most of the time my brother and i are doing it ourselves mm. for instance he's gone up north of burke today on a delivery run so his time really isn't costing us anything how far is burke from here oh it'd have to be like 900 k's i think he's a thousand k's away it's in angonia a station up there then he comes back down through cobar and hillston interesting wow it's a long way to go yeah. to deliver i think he on. likes those runs though he sits he reckons he doesn't even turn the radio and just sits here in silence <laughs> Peace. <laughs> they are fun though. Doing the truck runs are good. Like I don't. To be honest, I really don't mind them. Yeah. Chuck your high vis on. Yeah. I only just cut my mullet off because I was doing a lot before Christmas. So <laughs> it's nice you rock up and they. It's funny how people talk to you when you rock up in high vis and they don't know you own it. Yeah. How rude or some people are really nice. Some people are rude, but they can they just you're a different person sometimes <laughs> yeah. like that. If, if you've got a mullet and you're rocking up and... <laughs> well, that's why I kept it because if there was any complaint, I'm just the driver, mate. <laughs> I should take that to customer care, but... <laughs> it's great. You do things like here you said you've got like the diesel tanks out there. Yeah. And you fitted out the trucks with bigger tanks so you don't have to fill up. Yeah. When you go past Sydney or something like that, you can drive all the way up and back. Yeah, just little things like that. So the diesel was, you know, when the price went up with the war and stuff, I just got my hands on a diesel tank just mainly for convenience, but it ended up paying for itself in two months because I'd bought like diesel, so it was $1.30 back then, and then it went to $2 on the street mm. or $2.20. I'd bought 
15,000 litres at that. And so the difference would nearly, the tank cost us maybe 25,000. So it was just all a lot of good timing, things like that, where the tank paid for itself after two or three months. And now we've just got the full convenience of it. We're still buying our diesel cheaper overall. Mm. And it just, it just makes the whole sort of like another reinvestment. Like hmm. they're bites that I think other people would say, well, why would you bother doing that? You know, or go yeah. out and buy Malibu instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas we went and bought a diesel tank, like how boring. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I've got one final question for you, but if people wanted to find out more, they could head to McPhail's, the website, uh, Facebook page, anything like that and see some of the furniture. I think I'm going to get one of your TV units, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, but people can go there. That's probably the best place to go, right? Yeah. So, on the on the website, there's now there's a box that if it says talk to us, if you click on that, it actually goes to about 10 people's phone as a message. So, everyone sort of knows about, you know, it's not an auto-generated message or anything. So, you could go on there or Facebook's always yeah. probably the main key where we post everything up that we're really pushing or selling to get the best deal so you occasionally drive the trucks you jump down to the store on the weekend yeah um you obviously do a lot of like the team stuff you got strategy you design the f- a lot of the furniture yeah as well. so we do a lot of our own now that we can buy enough we design a lot of our own yeah marketing yeah some customer service stuff like this i'm and- probably the worst at customer service okay yeah so how do you okay so this is just my question to you right this is a multi-million dollar business like super impressive business how do you find any time to have work-life balance well you don't <laughs> that's only so basically the last i've been trying to do this thing so we went away from a brother who's my partner he's 50th last week on the gold coast as a big family holiday then after that, I haven't had a drink since then till now. So that's the first time I've gone for a few runs. Mm-hmm. I probably stacked on 25 kilos <laughs> in the last two years. Um, would smoke every night, drink every night, like a bottle of red plus two bottles of scotch a week. So seriously unhealthy. High blood pressure pills like at 32 I am and on <laughs> doctor said I got blood pressure of a six-year-old. Um, so all these things were obviously compounding pretty bad with a lot of stress. So yeah, it's just it's only real like I've been aware of it in the last six months, but it's just now that we've got this new warehouse, things have got a little bit easier and it's all a bit more manageable. It's probably a bit of time to focus on the work life now. Mm. But you know, like it was three years. Well, I was put there's a lot longer of that of tough times, but three years of really full on. I've got a really good wife that sort of supports us and backs me in so understands where what our position is um and the fruits of where we sort of want to get you know like Mm. she's got a 300 series sahara sitting down there we've got a nice house in town Mm. it's a lot better than where we were five years ago but that's the other thing if you push again to another store do you want to go through all is it worth going through all that or are you just happy you know and get a porsche or a ferrari like i don't know if i care about that i'm just happy to have what we sort of got and then start focusing on that work life. We've got another child on the way. So, congrats. Yeah, thanks. So, I just, I think that's where you'd start focusing. You get your systems in place and then start trying to run it a bit better. But you always have that, you know, every big place that you see, you probably interviewed plenty. They all started off with nothing and, you yeah. know, someone's gone through something to get there. Mm. I just yeah. went through, you know, heaps of alcohol, <laughs> smokes and, 
fat <laughs> basically but yeah it's, it's time to work on that i suppose yeah well great mate well congratulations on everything you guys have done um, yeah thanks super impressive you're super candid with everything you're really insightful i know there's heaps of stuff that we would love to say but probably better off not said on air around the strategies that you use with the business and i just think it's impressive about what you do um everything that you've put together here if you could see it in one grader right now if you're watching the video you'll get to see it but um incredible stuff so all the best with the business and thanks for making the time yeah thanks a lot for coming up thanks for listening to this episode of the australian business podcast i think this series is best served with my free business course on rask education my free course includes all of my notes templates employment guides legal documents marketing strategies software recommendation and ideas for starting and running a small business if you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant lawyer investor or entrepreneur i want to hear from you i'm not 100 sure what we're going to do with this podcast series so i'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts and of course i'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people if you're looking for a supporter or advisor a silent partner or even an investor to support your growth i can help please contact me via the rask website finally if this podcast or the course helps you i only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend colleague or family member who runs a business thanks for listening